We will be looking this morning at Luke chapter 17, the end of the chapter from verse 20 to 37. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Luke chapter 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage till the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night... There will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning that You would meet with us by Your Word and Your Spirit. Lord, teach us, but do more than that. Use the power of Your Spirit and Your Word to change us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask. In the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. As we come to a passage like this about 
the kingdom of God, there is a great temptation for us. The temptation is for us to have our own view of what the kingdom of God is and to want to force the scriptures and even God to fit that mold, to fit that view. And this morning, Jesus is going to challenge us, but he's also going to give us some answers about what the kingdom of God is. And as we look at the end of chapter 17, I'd like us to to look at this by asking ourselves three questions. Three questions that will help us to understand the kingdom of God. The first question seems obvious. It is, what is the kingdom? What exactly is the kingdom of God? And as we look at that, then the next obvious question is, when is the kingdom coming? For once we know what the kingdom is, we long to know when we will see it. And then thirdly, we have a question of application to our lives. And that is, knowing what the kingdom is, having some idea of when we will see it, we must ask ourselves, how do we respond to the kingdom? How do we respond? How should we live? These are three good questions that come to us from our text as Jesus teaches us about the coming kingdom. Well, let's begin then by looking at verse 20 to see what the kingdom is. And Jesus begins by having a discussion, a conversation with the Pharisees. Verse 20 begins that he is asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So the Pharisees are asking this question not because they're ignorant of the concept of the kingdom of God, but because they have an expectation about what it is. Now, this is an unusual text with respect to the Pharisees. Normally, when we are looking at the Bible and we see the Pharisees or we hear them speak, we have an immediate response. It's almost Pavlovian. Pharisees, bad, bad. They're lying. They're trying to trick Jesus. And that allows us to stand aside from them and point at them and say, we're nothing like them. They're bad. But the interesting thing about this text is the Pharisees aren't trying to trip up Jesus intentionally here. Sure, they are hoping perhaps he gives the wrong answer, but I think they're also genuinely trying to get his opinion about something because it's a matter of great concern to them. Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees about the kingdom because the Pharisees have an expectation. What really the Pharisees represent here are not legalistic, bad people not like us. What they really represent in this passage are people who want to know and see the visible kingdom of God exactly like us. We want to see the kingdom of God. We want to know what its shape is. We want to know how it will come to us. And so they ask this question, when is it coming? And really what they mean by that is, when can we see it? And when we ask the question that way, we recall that we ask similar questions of the Bible and of others. When can we see the kingdom of God? Now, you recall that Luke is our historian and that he has given us this gospel 
right from the beginning he told us to give an orderly account of all that happened so that we might have more sure knowledge of what Jesus did, who he was, and our salvation. So, this verse 20 does not, strictly speaking, come chronologically right after verse 19. But Luke also includes it here for a reason. He brings up this issue of the visibility of the kingdom of God right after the healing of the ten lepers. We'll look at more of that in a moment. There is an expectation the Pharisees have, and if we're honest, there's an expectation that you and I have about the kingdom. The first thing that the Pharisees might say if we were talking with them is is that they expected the kingdom of God to come and to fix their culture. Now, it may surprise you to hear, but the Pharisees lived in a time and a culture that was very much like ours. They lived in a time of turmoil, of ups and downs, of society being turned on its head. They lived in a time of great immorality. And they lived in a time when it seemed like the visible people of God, the church of that day, was under constant attack and had a pretty steady string of losses. Does that remind you of anything? As you see our culture and we see all of the battles, it's almost a mistake to even talk about a culture war nowadays because the war's over. And there's a sense in popular culture to say we lost. This is what the Pharisees were facing. And you see why they want to see the kingdom of God because they want hope. They want to see what God will do to fix their culture. And if you and I are honest, that's what we want to. We want to see our culture redeemed. We want to see normalcy. We want to see the family not be under attack. We want to see goodness and honesty pushed forward. There's a second reason why the Pharisees would have wanted to see the kingdom of God in a visible form. And that is they wanted God to fix things politically. The Pharisees lived in a time in which it was evident that there was great injustice in the land. They had seen failure after failure politically in their sphere of influence. I mean, think about the history to this point of Israel. You have that great high point of the kingdom of David. And then it goes down about one notch with Solomon. And then the kingdom divides. And then there's this slow, steady, downhill slope. Until they're kicked out of the land. And then even when they come back in the land, it never goes back to its former glory. The kingdom is never really reestablished in Israel. And eventually what happens after a brief bright spot between the Old and the New Testaments under the Maccabees, there is a complete collapse politically of Israel. The Romans are now in charge. And if you didn't know, the Romans really only cared about two things out in the colonies. Number one, money. They wanted the money to keep coming in. And number two, order. They didn't want people bothering them. They didn't want to have to put more soldiers there. 
They didn't want to have to worry about any problems for themselves. They really could have cared less if there was injustice in the land. They could have cared less if someone suffered for order. All they wanted was peace and quiet for themselves. They, the Pharisees saw this and longed to see the Davidic kingdom reestablished. Longed to see the good old days come back. And again, if we are honest, wouldn't we like to see that fix? Wouldn't we like to see laws reflect not just godliness, but honesty of integrity? Wouldn't we like to see contracts be upheld? Wouldn't we like to see our society be productive? We want these things fixed, don't we? Who better to fix them than God? We want to see the kingdom of God fix things politically. Now, there is another thing that could happen if we try to see the kingdom of God in a visible form. It has a more spiritual feel to it. We say to ourselves, well, we're not going to be obsessed with the culture. We're not going to be obsessed with politics. And we're going to think about things spiritually. And so what we could be tempted to do there is to have constant speculation about the end times. That's what we want to see. And we want to see how the end times and the kingdom of God fits in with what's happening now. Now, you know what I mean. It's the kind of newspaper end time study that Northrop Grumman comes out with a a new brand of helicopter. And immediately Bible scholars rush to Ezekiel and Revelation to find out where that helicopter is. Certain nations rise up and they try to figure out where they come in the grand scheme of the minor prophets. Everything is an obsession with trying to see things visibly here and now. Now, it seems more spiritual, but at the same time, it is a longing for what is visible, for a longing for for secret knowledge. And this has its appeal to us as well, doesn't it? Because the more we do this, the more we can seem to be experts. And the more people have to run to us. But there is a commonality in all of these things. All of these views are obsessed with what can be outwardly observed. And so Jesus gives us a rebuke. If we are obsessed with culture, or obsessed with politics, or obsessed with secret knowledge, look at what Jesus says here in answer to the Pharisees. In verse 20, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Jesus says, that's not where you should look. Don't think the kingdom is closer because better laws are being passed. Don't think the kingdom is closer because society is more genteel. Don't think the kingdom is closer because you can somehow match up a new African nation with a people group in the Bible. The word that Jesus uses here is is very interesting. He says, we should not be obsessed with primarily observable signs. This word here is the only, this is the only time this word is used in all of the New Testament. It's used in secular literature to describe symptoms of a disease. And what Jesus is saying here, do not be obsessed with the symptoms. Do not be obsessed with the visible accoutrements of the kingdom. Your focus needs to be somewhere else. 
And this is what Jesus tells the Pharisees and you and me. That the kingdom of God is not what we expect, but the kingdom of God is, God is what we should see. Notice how Jesus continues to answer. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, there, look, it's over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is completely unobservable. It's interesting the way he answers it. He says, don't let people tell you, look over here, look over there. And then what does Jesus say? He says, behold. Does anybody know what behold means? It's a fancy word for look. Jesus is saying, you need to look. Jesus is not saying you can't see the kingdom of God. You have no hope of seeing the kingdom of God. But he says you have to look in the right place. And in my sanctified imagination, I can, I can just imagine as Jesus Christ is standing face to face with the Pharisees, Jesus the king, and the Pharisees say to him, do you know where we might see the kingdom? If I were standing in Jesus' place, I might want to look hard at the Pharisees and say, well, duh, I'm standing right here. It's in your midst. You see, Jesus says you're looking all over the place except for right in front of you. Your focus is on the wrong thing. It's on the signs. You need to be focused on the reality. And this is an incredibly important lesson for you and for me because it tells us that we can, to our own detriment, we can miss God because we are looking around for signs of God. We are looking for telltale signs and missing God himself. Because you see, the kingdom of God is observable. It is indeed in our midst, the kingdom of God is not a series of signs and wonders. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. And that begins with God's people. Because God expresses His reign, His kingship, His kingdom through His people. It's always been that way, hasn't it? From the very beginning, the kingdom of God was seen in Adam and Eve. And Adam was made vice-regent. Leader under the king of God. And when Adam failed miserably at that task, God then called aside Abraham to establish again his people, a visible sign of his rule and his reign, so that he might be seen through his people. And he built Abraham up into a nation, the nation of Israel. And then when that failed miserably, in the New Testament, he gathered together his people in the church through the apostles and the disciples. Once again, not that the church itself is of critical importance, but that it allows Jesus to be seen, his rule and reign to be shown. All those who are a part of God's people are a new creation. And a new creation, Paul tells us, in whom? In Christ. They are who they are because of Jesus. They act as they act because of Jesus. 
The people of God are the people of the kingdom. And this is the primary way that God shows His rule and His reign. The kingdom is about God and His will, not about y'all and your will. It is about who God is, expressing Himself through His kingdom. Now, sometimes this is hard to see, isn't it? We wonder how God is showing His rule and His reign when everything is such a mess. Why can't God make people be moral? Why can't God fix what's wrong with society? Why can't God punish the evildoers? Well, I can tell you this. It's not because He's not able. It's not because He doesn't have the power. It's not because He's not the King. The reason these things are not done is because God has so willed it. It's because of the mercy of God. God could wipe out all sin right now. But he's not ready to. If I could put it so boldly, he doesn't care if you're ready for him to. He's not ready to. He has more people to call in. He has more children to beget by the power of his word. It is his mercy that we see sin. Because God puts up with our sin in order to meet His purpose and ends. And when we look at the world that way, we see the kingdom at work instead of saying, why is God lazy and asleep at the switch? Why doesn't He fix things? It is a radical reorientation of our view of God. He is absolutely in control. Well, that's the kingdom of God. Then the second question that comes to us is, when is the kingdom coming? Now, there are two answers to this, and they seem mutually exclusive. Jesus tells us first that the kingdom is now, and then he says that the kingdom is coming. And we wonder to ourselves, Jesus, can't you make up your mind? Is it now or is it later? Is it later or is it now? The answer is it's both. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 21. He says, the kingdom, of God, or excuse, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, for in verse 21, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, I need some real Bible scholars here to help me. Young people, pay attention up here. What kind of a word is is? I know it's a big word. What kind of a word is it? What does it mean? It means right now, doesn't it? When your parents say, We are having dessert. You expect to have dessert in front of you, right? You don't want to hear, we will have dessert, because that means you got to wait. Is means now. So Jesus is very clearly saying that the kingdom is a present reality. And he says, it is in the midst of you. Now, some translations have within you. And I think this is a better translation because we had had come to, to the concept historically, of seeing within you, of saying that had something to do with the kingdom of God being in our hearts. That if we had nice feelings, and if we were warm and fuzzy, that meant the kingdom of God was in my heart. No, that's not what Jesus means. Remember, he says the kingdom of God is observable. He says, look, behold, what Jesus means is, right in your midst, there I am. 
That's critically important. Because the kingdom is not where nice feelings are. The kingdom is not where good deeds are. The kingdom is where? Where Jesus is. That's what he's saying. And Jesus wants us to know that God is at work now. He is pointing us to the work of God. Now, isn't this a comfort to us that the kingdom of God is now? You see the problems in the culture, don't you? You'd have to be blind not to. You see the problems in politics? You want to know where the world is going and what's coming to the world? And at the same time, it seems very obvious that we can't do anything to fix it, right? So take great comfort. God is at work now. Jesus is present now. Jesus is present in the preaching of His Word, in the bringing of the Gospel. And He's present with power because Jesus changes lives. And if you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you know firsthand the power of the kingdom of God to change your life. Now, the irony here is the Pharisees should have seen this. Remember our Luke, our organized historian? Luke puts this story about you should have seen the power of the kingdom of God right after what? Right after Jesus heals ten lepers. Now, put that in the context. It's as if Luke is saying the Pharisees watched ten men be healed of the worst possible disease instantly with no medical attention. And then they look at that and they say, yeah, 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 but where's the power of the kingdom? Are you paying any attention at all? The power of the kingdom is right here, right now in Jesus. Look at what he just did. But the good news is that this is just the beginning. You see, at the same time that Jesus tells us the kingdom is now, he does not want us to obsess about it now. And he says in verse 22 that the days are coming when you will want to see one of the days of the Son of Man. He says the day of the Son of Man is coming. There is a constant movement forward of the kingdom. I'm reminded of a, a portion from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may remember the story where Mr. Beaver is speaking to the children and the, the snow is starting to melt and they're going and he says, Aslan is on the move. And everyone gets excited. I would put it to you that Lewis is only half right there. Because you see, God is on the move but He's always on the move. You don't need to wait for the snow to melt. You don't need to wait for the cure to come. You don't need to wait for your life to get better. God is on the move now in your life right now. The kingdom is now, but it is always getting bigger. It is always getting better. It is always getting closer to its fulfillment. This is what we long to see. We're not looking for some kind of secret. The desire that the disciples have to see the days of the Son of Man is a good desire. But they need to be looking for and to Jesus. Not to the signs around the kingdom of God. 
That's what Jesus is telling you here today. Don't lose your focus. He's not telling you to stop looking. He's saying you must have your focus right. We must be focused on Jesus. It is clear that Jesus is coming. He actually gives us a wonderful illustration of this. He says you don't need to worry about missing the kingdom of God because it will not come on you quietly or something you might forget about. He says it's going to be like lightning. Now, you all know what that's like, don't you? Especially out here in Texas, you've seen lightning storms. And sometimes you're off looking in the horizon and you see one of those bolts come down and hit the ground, right? Big, huge bolt of lightning. But did you ever think about this? You don't need to be looking at the bolt of lightning to know it's lightning. You don't even need to be looking up at the sky when it comes off because the whole darkness becomes light. You could not possibly miss it, could you? That's what Jesus says the coming of the kingdom is going to be like. But there's a warning for us. Jesus is what is important. Not our political hopes, not our cultural hopes, not our knowledge. Jesus is what we have to be focused on. And he gives us great words of pause in verse 25. But first, now, everyone here who's young knows how horrible the words but first are. Don't you? Mom, can I have dessert? Yes, but first... Finish your vegetables. Dad, can I go out with the guys? Yes, but first, finish your chores. Oh, man. Why can't you just say now? Why can't it be easy? You see, Jesus says this to us, and we don't want to hear this. We especially don't want to hear, but first, Jesus must suffer and be rejected. We don't want to hear Jesus be rejected. We don't want Jesus to suffer. We don't want to to suffer or be rejected. We want the kingdom to come now. We're ready for it, right? I'm ready for it. Are you all ready for it? But you see, Jesus says, but first. Because he's the one who's in charge. It's his kingdom. He's the one who's preparing the place. This leads us to the third question, which is, how do we respond to the kingdom, knowing what the kingdom is, knowing that it is now, but it is also coming? The first thing we have to understand is that we must live in light of the kingdom. And Jesus gives us two examples to help us work through this. We must live in light of the kingdom that shows the rejection of, of the kingdom by the world. And Jesus shows us what the rejection of the kingdom and the king looks like. And it's very surprising. The first example he gives is in the days of Noah. And he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So as you hear this, you have to understand, just as it was then, it's going to be now. Don't be surprised. What does the rejection of Jesus look like? Look at verse 27. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. What? Well, let's look down to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. What were they doing? Well, they were eating 
and drinking and buying and selling planting and building. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read earlier in the Bible, both in the days of Noah and in the days of Sodom, their sin was so great that it cried up to heaven. But you notice Jesus doesn't say it was their violence. It was their immorality. He he actually doesn't even mention sins, does he? He says the rejection of the kingdom is the fact that they were going around like ordinary life was ordinary and like the kingdom didn't even matter. Jesus is saying the great rejection of the kingdom is a view of normalcy. It's not just great sin that we can point at. It is carrying on like the kingdom isn't important and the king isn't important. Even the way he describes it, their activities are all verbs. Staccato verbs. Eat, drink, plant, sell, buy. And they're all in a tense that is ongoing, an imperfect tense. This is what they did every day. They got up, they ate every day. They got up and drank, right? They, they had a wedding. They built some buildings. Kind of sounds like your life and my life, right? It's just normalcy going on. Because you see, as the problem was that they were not ready for the kingdom. It's not their sin Jesus is focused on, but their indifference. And when we look at it that way, it should give us pause, shouldn't it? Because we can look in the mirror and say, we're not guilty of great sin. But it's harder to look in the mirror and say, do I take the kingdom for granted? Now, the pastor is not saying to y'all, you should not eat and you should not drink. And no, I am not saying you should not get married. No. But what I am saying is, is all of those activities, eating, drinking, marrying, selling, buying, are to be done with a view toward and in the context of the coming kingdom. All of our life is to be lived in light of the kingdom. We are to live our lives and do everything we do for the glory of God, knowing that Jesus is coming back and his kingdom will be restored. Otherwise, it's foolishness. Could you imagine the guy who is the chairman of the construction committee for downtown Sodom, when he starts building a new building the day before it rains fire and brimstone? We would look back at that and say, what a fool. Why are you focused on all the wrong things? Jesus wants our focus to be on him and the kingdom. The second thing we do to respond to the kingdom is we must be ready for the kingdom. Because you see, what happens in the days of Noah and in the days of Sodom is that they're so caught up in the normalcy that sudden destruction comes down upon them. We see this in both verse 27... And then later on in verse 29, they did all of these things until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came down and what? Destroyed them all. And again in Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. No exceptions. No warning. Except their whole lives were lives of warning. Everything they had was pointing to the kingdom of God. The sun going up and coming down. The seasons. The creation. 
God's word that was available to them. All of it pointed to the king and the kingdom. And they chose deliberately to ignore it. You know, it's like the person that gets trapped in their home in a flood. This happens all the time, right? And then they interview them afterwards. And they say, I I don't know, I just, I didn't get out. I had to go up on my roof because the whole place got flooded. Really? So you didn't watch the news reports two weeks before, every single day, saying we got to get out, there's going to be flooding. You didn't listen to the governor when he came on the TV and said, y'all better get out, it's going to flood. You didn't listen when all your neighbors left and said it's flooding. And then you were surprised when it flooded? Really? That kind of foolishness is what it's like to ignore the kingdom. You may say you're surprised, but you don't deserve to be. This is what Jesus says to us. They're asking for signs and the signs are everywhere because no one is paying attention to Jesus and the coming of the kingdom. And as we live in light of the kingdom and as we get ready for the kingdom, it means carrying our lives and our possessions lightly. Jesus says three of the most chilling words in all of the scripture in this passage. It's verse 32. Remember, Lot's wife. You know who Lot's wife is, don't you? She was the one that was told along with Lot and others that they needed to escape Sodom. And on the way out, she looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. And I think sometimes we think about her as sort of falling afoul of some kind of magic vision, like Greek mythology and Medusa. And we wonder in our mind's eye, how far around could she have turned and not turned into a pillar of salt? Could she have just looked with one eye and been like half salty? What would have happened here? Because you see, we want to use that to differentiate her from us when in reality it wasn't the look, it wasn't magic. It was because when she was faced with the kingdom of God in all of its power and glory, she looked back and her heart was back with her things and her sin. And when we think about it that way, that's you and me, isn't it? Because we're tempted to look back, metaphorically, to go back to old ways, to go back to old relationships, to go back to old sin. She was, Spurgeon says famously, almost saved. You know what good that is? Nothing. You see... We have to be ready to leave everything behind for the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean we will. I'm not telling you all to go home and sell everything in your house. But I am telling you, you have to be ready to give it up. The man who's trying to escape, Jesus says, who's up on the roof and needs to escape the coming destruction, does not go back down into the house and load himself up with stuff to leave. The thing about the kingdom of God is, is that we cannot have business as usual. We have to look first and foremost to our souls. We have to look first and foremost to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have that viewpoint, then we will not be afraid. Do you notice that the disciples are afraid? Jesus tells them about Noah. He tells them about Lot. And they look at Jesus in verse 37. 
You could just imagine this. They say, where, Lord? They know they're not permitted to ask him when, right? Jesus has already told them that. So they say, we don't know when it's coming, but tell us where it is so we can get as far away as possible. And Jesus answers them. He says, don't worry about it. You don't need to be afraid because it'll be obvious. It's where the dead people are that the vultures go. You need to look for where people are spiritually dead, where they reject the kingdom, where they don't want any part of God, where they don't want to serve the Lord, where they don't want to hear His Word, where they don't want to pray, where they don't think there's an eternity, where they don't think there's a judgment. That's where it's going to be. And if you don't want to have it fall on you, then don't be there. Don't be somebody who doesn't care about praying. Don't be somebody who doesn't care about eternity. Don't be somebody who doesn't care about God's word. Don't be someone who shows themselves to be spiritually dead. Because you see, at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is not about a place. It's not about a secret. The kingdom of God is about Jesus. And if that's what we hold on to, then we can be ready for the kingdom to come as swiftly as possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would show us the kingdom of God. Lord, remind us that we are not our own. But we serve you, O Lord, by your grace. Be with us, Lord. Show us your kingdom, that we might long to be with you. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.